bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And today, it's a materials world. See what we did there? And we're going to talk about material science, what role it's played in the progress of sports, what role it will play in the future of sports. And let me first introduce my co-host, Gary O'Reilly. Gary. Hey, Neil. Gary's got love. Got to love Gary. But we, we love your British accent, Gary. Do you? Okay. We do, because we're all jealous, because in America, we have British accent envy here, just so you know, okay? Uh, we don't feel that envy at home. <laughs> uh, and a former pro footballer in the UK, back mm-hmm. where over where football means soccer. And yes. so, uh, great to have you here in Star Talk Sports Edition. My other co-host, Chuck Nice, Chuck. Hello, governor. <laughs> <laughs> Worst ever! <laughs> you gotta, you gotta love it, right? That's how bad it is. Okay, I don't think that's the accent we're all jealous of. Okay, that's. I'll go No, no, we're we're, we're trying to keep it, you know, BBC English. No, right. even Dick Van Dyke wouldn't go there. No, no. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke, as in Bert, in. The Mary first Poppins. Mary right. Poppins, yes, yes. Just to, for now, I have my BBC. Younger right. than 70 who wouldn't know that reference. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I'm, dinosaur- right. I'm being dinosaured. <laughs> well, none of us have any expertise in material science, so doing the Star Talk thing we do, we find someone who does. And uh, join me in welcoming Judd Reedy from Georgia Tech. Judd, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you, Neil. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. Excellent, excellent. You're an engineer. Uh, you got three engineer degrees right from scratch, bachelor's, master's, wow. PhD. Let me just ask oh. you, what percent of engineering folk actually get PhDs? Because you're so employable at the master's level. Really? It's Judd. He's the only <laughs> one. <laughs> He's the one. <laughs> it's just him. There's a couple more out there for sure. But yeah, right out of the bachelor's, uh, my students here at they, Georgia they Tech get are jobs. getting incredible offers. And they go on to, to great, successful careers in industry. A lot of them come back to graduate school, either get a technical master's or MBA. My wife is an engineer. She's getting her MBA right now, in fact. Okay, so so when you need money, you take out loans from them because yeah, you're still I'm not an making academia. money off of anything that I do here, for sure. I'm a, I'm a state employee <laughs> working for the government. <laughs> so I get good vacation benefits, so that's about it. And really good internet connection. There you go. There you go. But just to be clear, um, though most people who will consume this this podcast will be hearing the audio rather than video. Let me just say, on the wall behind you, you have an entire wall of plaques. And 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 you told us offline that those are what? Yeah, that's the Great Wall of Judd. Those are all the patents that we've received throughout my career. So 20 years now. Wow. Uh, some are uh, electronic materials, for instance, resistors in cell phones. Other are springs and mattresses. No, don't tell me you can patent a spring. Yeah. No. Microalloy. No, no, yeah. No. Yeah. Three of them. Three of them up there. <laughs> Three springs. Three of them. Fancy springs. Well, one is never enough, Judd, huh? <laughs> no. Yeah. It, lots of little springs. <laughs> so, That's so, like, you walk into the patent office, 
I have this new invention. It is. It's cool. We right. need and like, micro alloys. And they say to you, and they say, hey, dude, that's a spring <laughs> later. It's a micro alloy. Come back, come back when you got something. Got, got little <laughs> dust of titanium and copper and all sorts of other stuff inside there with the iron and carbon to make it a... Uh, oh, so it's what the spring is made, made of. Made of. It's the composite oh, that you yeah, have. The alloy, act. in fact, Chuck. The alloy. Yeah. There okay, you go. nice. So let me get all your titles straight here. A deputy director... Innovation Initiatives yep. for the Georgia Tech Institute for Materials. That's right. Adjunct Professor, School of Materials Sciences and Engineering at Georgia Tech. Principal Research Engineer on the Research Faculty of the Georgia Tech Research. So you're in. You're all in. Yeah. I've been all in on this. Been here at Tech. Big been stuff. here at Tech for 18 years now, building up those different titles. Nice. And the problem is, all three of those jobs, all my bosses think that that's the only job. So I actually have three three bosses and three jobs. So it, it can be a lot of fun uh, sometimes for sure. Yeah, we'll teach you about uh, Einsteinian time dilation so you can fit all the jobs Need into it. the Need 168. And I will teach you about cloning. <laughs> so let me just sing your praises explicitly and implicitly as a material science engineer. Uh, you know, practically anything that happens in my field, astrophysics, there's a headline. There's a black hole discovered, a planet is demoted we you know the universe is older or younger yet you guys are coming up with stuff all the time completely transforming how we live and hardly any of it is heralded and i just want to just say that i've been watching you guys for decades and watching all of society shift to accommodate the materials that you're handing us and infusing into our products and into our lifestyle. And I just want to publicly say thank you for being this, this, this hidden heroes of the progress of civilization. Well, you're very welcome. Have you felt the steely gaze of Neil deGrasse Tyson over your shoulder? There's just so much pressure now for us to come up with the, the next, <laughs> next item. But we've been doing this for thousands of years. If you go back Stone Age... Iron Age, Bronze Age, all of these are named after a critical material. Information Age could be considered silicon, nuclear age, these other sorts of things. So as we go through time, the materials are extremely important to our evolution as civilization. You know, I hadn't thought about it that the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, that's you guys. Yeah. I hadn't so so in the Stone Age, you guys were finding the right stones yep. to use. That would chip off and make the- make flints. Or that would smash a bone better than a piece of wood would smash a bone? Or would make the cylindrical wheels of the Flintstones car. Mm-hmm. So you guys would have been nice. But, but Doctor, what is new made of, as in new age? Certainly the composite materials are out there. A lot of advanced polymeric chemistry. And I'm not a polymer scientist as well, so I like to collaborate with, with my, some of my friends there. So you're trying to find things that are light and strong, basically, oh, yeah. right? Particularly in sports is the strength-to-weight ratio. Because we can make all sorts of things out of steel, but... God, a football player wearing steel armor playing football, that's just not going to make that's for a very jousting. exciting game after yeah, call it. It's <laughs> called a knight. Knights, the knights in armor. They can't get up once they fall. So your specific specialty from my notes tells me that you think of carbon nanotubes. We do. I and just remind focus. people what those are or tell them for the first yeah, time. Sure. A carbon nanotube is, um, if you're from the South like I am, is, is chicken wire, hexagonal lattice of carbon, carbon atoms that, are then rolled into a cylindrical tube. Uh, it's roughly uh, 10 or so atoms across if it's a single wall nanotube across the diameter. A lot of the carbon nanotubes we grow here in our lab are multi-wall. So it's like a an onion or a Russian kachina doll where they're nested amongst each other. So, um, so this is only, there's no other atoms involved, just carbon making this six-sided that, hexagon that is tiling a the wall of a cylinder. Is that what you're describing to us? Yeah, that's the goal, is to have nothing but carbon-carbon bonds forming these hexagons. Uh, there's often always uh, some defects. So instead of perfect hexagons, uh, you might get a few pentagons in there with some dangling bonds that then attach to oxygens and hydrogens in the atmosphere. Would that create uh, a weakness yeah. in your structure? It, structurally, yeah. I primarily use the carbon nanotubes for their electrical applications. We focus on energy capture, storage, and delivery for aerospace applications with an emphasis on the space. So energy capture, like solar cells. We just had a mission come back from the International Space Station, just splashed down last week, going back again in August. But just just to be clear, there's something just happened in that sentence that I just want to put it out there, okay? Our space shuttle, which we no longer have, no longer fly, landed on a runway. 
So when our astronauts came back from the space station, they would land. But now our access to space is either by Russian capsule or SpaceX capsule, both of them, uh, Russians land, well, they don't splash down, but they like slam down yeah, in, on the ground. It's so rough. Mm-hmm. Them Russians, boy, let me tell you. They're tough. <laughs> they, they, they don't land on water. They land on solid ground uh, in a capsule. And SpaceX has returned the tradition of landing back in, in the water, splashdown. So I just hadn't heard splashdown yep. since like the 1960s. So it's yeah. great mm-hmm. to hear that. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, and so the energy capture our solar cells, we use the carbon nanotubes to form a, a light-trapping forest, if you will, that we then coat the carbon nanotubes with a photoabsorber. So the photon alike can pinball around inside that forest and eventually get absorbed. So it essentially increases the dwell time of the photon in the photoactive layer to, to increase the charge conversion. So, so these, these tubes are hollow? Uh, the tubes are hollow. We're using them just as a, as a wire really, as a scaffold to put the material on that absorbs the light, and then as a uh, electrically conducting member to extract the carriers out of that. Um, So are nanotubes in my life right now in any way that I can think about? Yeah, you probably don't recognize it, but they're very good electrical, thermal, and mechanical properties. So they've been incorporated into trays in silicon fabrication facilities to carry samples around to to reduce the, the static buildup there. Um, oh, so, they so they're basically in, it's trivets. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were, uh, they put them in um, tennis rackets. Babolat had a tennis racket in the Ooh. early 2000s that included carbon nanotubes. Just to be clear, we're not talking about carbon fiber here, which we've all seen. It's, right. There's carbon fiber bicycles and carbon fiber cars, fuselage, you know, uh, plane and car bodies. So that's not what we're talking about, right? Nope. These are individual carbon nanotubes that have then been composed or combined with a, a matrix material to strengthen a composite structure. I wonder about the actual performance there. I think there's a lot of advertising benefits, certainly for including the carbon nanotubes in your tennis racket or baseball bat. But the applications we're looking at are, are very specialized to take advantage of, of the low work function of a carbon nanotube, for instance, to emit electrons to serve as a cold cathode for satellite propulsion and a Hall effect thruster, for instance. Damn, um, I didn't, I would not have ever imagined amazing. how many different ways you could use nanotubes. And yeah. it's probably only just now plumbing the surface of where it could go. Now, sports is always trying to, you know, faster, higher, stronger. Uh, have they reached out to carbon nano people, nanotube people for anything? Yeah, certainly have looked at it. Questionable benefits from a mechanical perspective. I think there's really strong benefits from a thermal and electrical benefits to incorporate it, as opposed to, say, carbon fiber, which is very, very common, or graphite, which is just very pure carbon fiber, typically. Graphite, just that's what's in my pencil. Yeah, but uh, you can make it into uh, a fiber structure. You, you take the carbon carbon fiber and you purify it even more so that it's instead of 95% carbon, it's more like 98 to 99%. Well, that would carbon. make an awesome pencil. <laughs> and jacket. <laughs> I can draw something with my jacket sleeve. <laughs> so what, um, what branches of sports are, are most touched by this, do you think? Or will be in the future? Let me guess, race car driving. Oh, always. Yeah, they've got deep pockets for sure. The more professional sports that can can stand to invest in things and, and to have localized applications of carbon nanotubes, say in a helmet or pad and those sorts of things. I really have not looked at getting my own materials into sports equipment. We've I've tried to use some of the established ones out there that are like commercially viable so that we can quickly get these innovations into the hands of the public. It's really interesting how advanced materials like a carbon nanotube or titanium or carbon fiber starts out in the military typically. And this goes back to Bronze Age and Stone Age as well. And then it advances into commercial application. That's very commonly sports. Titanium, carbon fiber, that's often found in bicycles and other sorts of equipment. Judd, just to take a step back, the applications you've just expressed, what, I mean, I hear terms like matrix, which gets my ears pricked up. Then I get into C triple bonds, and then I hear ABS, which sounds like something that comes on my car. But um, can you break that down? Because I'm sat there bewildered by a new language. Sure. When you create a composite structure, you combine two different materials that have desirable traits that when you combine them together, you take those desirable traits to, a, to another level. It's, it's not simply additive. It can often be multiplicative. And so you will have a fiber reinforcement 
like a fabric, as well as a polymer, like an epoxy. And so that epoxy can form what we call the matrix. And what that does, that shares the load between your flies of fiber or your individual threads and whatnot. And the different polymers will have principally a polymeric component has a carbon-carbon chain sequenced along. And some of those carbons can be bonded with a single bond together, for instance, like a polyethylene. Or if you have a double bond between the two carbons, for instance, a uh, like an isoprene, polyisoprene, that can stiffen the polymer. And so it can have properties like a golf ball that will be much more rigid than, say, a latex. This is like you're in a kitchen and you say, oh, I need this strength and this flexibility right. and this weight. And you're just pulling out chemical bonds of your ingredients, mixing it together to make exactly what you want and expect to have. And, and that's what the ABS is. ABS is a very common polymer in helmets, ski boots, and, and a variety of other things. And the A and the B and the S all stand for an individual polymer that have been grafted together to form what's called a copolymer. So A is acrylonitrile, which has a C triple bonded with N, which is a very stiff bond. And so the acrylonitrile provides a, a lot of a lot of stiffness. When you say an N, you mean a nitrogen atom? Yep. Okay. Exactly. So CN, when I think of CN, I think of... Chuck uh, Nice. Sign hey. nice. <laughs> That's good, Chuck. Very good, you Chuck. You set him up, he'll knock him down. <laughs> Damn, Chuck, that was quick. Uh, when I think of CN, I think of, um, what's the, the poisonous cyanide. gas? Yeah, cyanide, I think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, oh, and, no, just yes. Okay. Well, it is. Yeah, exactly. It's, but, right. but it's it's bound right. up in the structure, so it's not so releasing. So safe. Okay. Yeah. Right. As long but as you don't, you, your, do. you don't still eat your don't, ski boots. Still don't sniff it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever don't, you don't, do. Don't smoke the ski boots. Don't, don't smoke, the, don't smoke it. Smoke <laughs> the ski boots. So, <laughs> well, how about this, Judd? Um, is there any advancements being looked at for these polymers or... Uh, the, even these carnal, the, the nanotubes to change with physical surroundings. Like, so like they become stronger when they get colder or they become more fluid when they get hot. Oh, I or, love those when they do that. I love yeah. those. Kevlar is actually one of those that does get stronger when it's, when it's colder that, that are people are familiar with. There's other ways that you can have what are known as shear thickening or shear thinning behavior so that when a stress hits it, it either stiffens up which can be useful for, say, for a shock absorber or something like that. Or it can thin out and provide a cushioning impact, for instance, say, in panels by a race car around a racetrack or something right. along They're those They're perfect lines. for ice hockey. As well. Wait, why? What, what do you need well, for ice well, hockey? Um, ice, cold, padding, Kevlar. If it gets thicker as it's colder, so you stick it out on the ice, then it's going to be good. Surely, it's Wait, so, work so I, when I think of Kev, when mm. I think of Kevlar, I think of something that stops bullets. So is this the I was future of hockey say, when people ever shoot seen each a truck? I was going to say he just made hockey the most interesting sport to me ever now because instead of just sticks, you play with guns too. That's a, it's awesome. Brings a new new thing to the fight. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you get hit by a puck that's traveling at over hundred miles an hour. That would be classified as a lethal weapon. My wife, when she uh, took her very first trip away, left me at home with our very first baby. Wait, she's also an engineer, correct? <laughs> she is an engineer, civil yes. engineer uh, right here at Georgia Tech. She got hit by a hockey puck <laughs> at the hockey game. And so they, she took that as a bad, as like a sign from the gods that maybe she shouldn't leave the baby with dad for... <laughs> but she should have took it I as like, a sign. I didn't, I didn't hit you with a hockey puck, baby. I, yeah, I was going to say, she should have took it as a sign to give up watching hockey. After it bounced off her arm, some dude took it from her. She's like, hey, that's my puck. That hit me. Um, And so she she got it from him because she's a strong-willed woman. Um, and yeah, very you much. You ought so. to be able to keep that's the puck that, that that you get hit with. I think. Yeah. That's and, and yeah, it's it's our daughter's teething ring. Our daughter's now in college. <laughs> but back back then, uh, we it was her teething ring. That isn't. We, we that washed, isn't the we use washed of... it. We cleaned it. Oh well, that's that's okay then. Yeah. Oh, that's wait, nice. wait, wait, I'm sorry. Are any of those cracks? No, that's like superhero baby. If you, the hockey puck is your teething ring, I'm that, sure we still got it. I'm sure it's that's somewhere. amazing. It's just like you cut your teeth on the thing that almost killed your mother. <laughs> all right, we spent all this time talking about the the materials, and let's in our next segment uh, bring up all the ways that they will specifically be implemented in the present and future of sports. When we come back on Star Talk Sports Edition.
Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. We've got Gary O'Reilly. Hey, We've got Chuck Nice. That's right. My intrepid co-hosts, and today we're talking about material science because it's a materials world, and we've got a material scientist in our midst, Professor Judd Reedy. Judd from Georgia Tech. Welcome back to Star Talk. Good to be back. Yep, yep. Look forward to more discussions. Yeah, more discussions. And if you've been in Georgia Tech for a while, at least, or a Georgian, at least since the 1996 Olympics. Yeah. And so they've got a track down there. What do they call it? Mondo track? Vulcanized rubber. Tell us about what that did to the performance of track athletes. Yeah, the Mondo track is uh, really a key innovation. I was actually a graduate student at Georgia Tech when the Olympics came, so that was a fun time to be here. And as part of my class that I teach now here at Georgia Tech, the material science and engineering of sports, we take field trips to all of our different facilities in the locker rooms and equipment rooms. And one of the popular ones is our track. So Georgia Tech was the Olympic village, and so all the athletes were here and they needed tracks to train on. And so we got an awesome track out of the deal. The difference between, say, an asphalt or a concrete track that many existing tracks are, is that is using local materials. You got the concrete aggregate and everything came from somewhere in that general vicinity. And it's laid down sequentially in a series of rows from lane one, two, three, four, so on and so forth. And so the uniformity around those different lanes differs. So the durometer, the amount of spring that's in the track changes whether in your lane one or lane two or you're at the start or the end of the durometer that's an that's a word that is a word that is a word and what does that mean durometer it's the uh return of energy is a good way of thinking about it the springiness of the track so the durometrics of the track i love that i love that and when you run there's energy that's lost on the recoil or energy that's returned to your bounce i guess and so Uh, If you can get 100% of your energy to come back, that would be pretty good. Maybe too much, perhaps. Yep. You'll see this a a lot of times. People running will run, even though there's a perfectly good sidewalk, will run in the street with the cars because it's softer on the joints, for instance. So the difference with Mondo than the asphalt, which are laid sequentially over a period of several days, so the humidity changes. Wait, wait. Sorry, I have to interrupt. Um, You just distinguished the softness of asphalt in a street from the hardness of concrete on a sidewalk. Did you yep. just do that? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did. Okay. So to most people, they're both hard. 
So tell me where you're coming saying that asphalt is soft and squishy relative to the cement laid concrete of a sidewalk. Yes, yeah, uh, just different chemical bonds. The asphalt is typically a petrochemical based solution. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot oil. of hydrocarbon acid oil. <laughs> oil. Exactly. Oil. Oil. Whereas, <laughs> whereas the concrete. Crude um, oil. Okay. Concrete's typically more silicate based. And so it's a much stiffer bond. And so as you step on it, no matter what type of material you apply a load to, the bonds between the atoms compress or stretch if you're pulling on it. And just the degree to which those stretches can be macroscopically manifest themselves to do a feel that you can feel when you're running on it. Okay, so this would be the difference between if I took a hammer and hit an asphalt street, it's a very different sensation if you take a hammer and hit a sidewalk. And sound. And and a different sound, right, right, Right. exactly. And 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 also the asphalt, asphalt typically has very large aggregate. Like you you can look at the asphalt and typically see the The grain structure, if you will. Whereas concrete will be much, much smaller. And the smaller the grains you get, typically the stiffer, stronger material. Okay, so your Mondo track is even better than asphalt, is what you're saying. It is. Okay. It is. Like, in that so same mon- direction, in that same direction. Okay. So keep going. Yeah, I so, interrupted you. So Sorry. No, no. Um, the, the Mondo track has excellent quality control. So it's made in a factory, much like carpet, as opposed to created on site. And so, you know, the width of your, it's usually two, I believe, two lanes wide. It's uniform all the way along the length of that piece of carpet, if you will, that's laid out as well as the width. So no matter what part of the track you're on, always have the same durometer, the same mechanical performance and the same response to the environment, for instance, shedding of water and those sorts of things. Okay, so it's it's the proverbial level playing, level field. playing field. Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, so keep going. It does. And so so the Mondo also has a, a really good lifetime. Despite being a polymer, polymers typically are not the best choice outside because the ultraviolet radiation will attack that carbon-carbon bond yeah. as well as some of the other carbon bonds. Mondo well, has I just have special- to jump in there because in my field, we think only ever about what light does to things. So correct me if I'm wrong. There's the strength of any chemical bond between two atoms. You can measure how strong that is. So now you have light coming in, in this case ultraviolet, whose energy is greater than the strength of that bond, and it'll just break the bond. Is that yep. That's what's going on there. So you, if you had different kind of light, like visible light or infrared, those photons don't have enough energy to break the bond, and so the bond is safe in the presence of that light. Is that fair yes. to say? And, yes, and different polymers respond differently. So sometimes the ultraviolet will break the bond. Other sometimes times it, it will makes it harder. It'll it'll create additional cross links. Exactly right. right. And so that's like uh, that's what dentists use to mm-hmm. affix um, fillings and things like that. They use ultraviolet light to seal the bond. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And so that can take what was once a, a nice, flexible, pliable rubbery-like polymer and make it very, very stiff. Okay, so this is just the genius of folks in your profession making stuff happen that you wanted to happen. Yeah, and trying to avoid the ones that we don't want to happen. Command over chemistry. It's brilliant. Okay, so keep going. So now it lasts a long time and it's uniform. So what? Why would I run faster on such a track? Oh, it's got good energy return. That again, the, the springiness, but it's really the competitive fairness that plays in. The thickness of the track is maybe a couple inches thick or so. But just the uniformity makes for a vastly superior product that it's not just the track here at Georgia Tech is uniform, but the same track that they put, say, up at Emory University for practicing on had the same consistency of the properties, which has the same ones as downtown at the Olympic Stadium. So, so if, I, if I ran a world record at Georgia Tech in lane will they, will one, they count I probably, I'd probably run the world record in lane six, and I'd probably run the same world record at... Emory, but that may not be the case on other tracks. Correct, correct. And I've seen several tracks. My daughter was in the the marching band that we'd go around and just see some terrible looking tracks. The the asphalt's just crumbling up and just doesn't provide the quality of of feel. Now, it's an expensive track, so high schools can't be expected to have a Mondo and that sort of thing. I I, I just got got to know, if it's all about returning the energy to the runner, is there a limit beyond which it will not be allowed as a record? Is there some rules about how good you can be at your job helping athletes? There are a lot of rules that are placed onto uh, mm. a lot of different materials that are used in sports from golf clubs, golf balls, 
baseballs, all, all of these things will have metrics on them. Javelins, for instance. Javelin got to be really good that uh, people would basically start throwing them into the stands, uh, which is really, <laughs> really rough for uh, spectator morale. Uh, yeah, that was, that, a, that was a guy called Jan Zelesny. He was throwing it about 90-something meters. So if you were high jumping at the far end from where he was throwing, you were in danger. Oh, 90 meters, the full length of the, of the track, yeah. right, right. And, and then so, some. So, so they had to add, like, aerodynamic drag to it. Yeah, which they made sucked. it worse. Far, they said, why don't you just have them throw them outside the damn stadium? Find yeah, it's like place. a restrictor plate in, you know, in NASCAR races and stuff like that. So right, it's, right. It's, it's, it's anathema to me as a material scientist. It breaks my heart when they start dumbing down my materials. Oh, I got to say, though, them. it's a hell of a lot worse than a hockey puck. Because <laughs> you, you can't chew a javelin as a child, can you? Uh-uh. <laughs> no, it's a heck of a toothpick. Well, I, oh. I, I, keep, I, I keep wanting to move on, but I have to, let me just get one thing out there. So... In principle, you could design a track that returned 100% of your sort of gravitational energy as you run from step to step. Uh, if you did, if you can, why don't you? Well, certainly cost would be an issue, but that's what you're describing is the trampoline effect yes. used used in um, tennis rackets, baseball, softball bats, golf clubs. And so you just have a thin material that is able to reflect or respond to the energy that you impart upon it. So, now, why, so you, why aren't tracks trampolines? You need some resistance to push against. Like if you've ever tried to run across an actual trampoline. Yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've tried that once. Uh-huh. Not so much fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's it's engineering trade-offs. You, you have to balance it out. But once you get a good bouncy thing going forward, you know, it could... <laughs> that's a different yeah. kind of race. It looked like get, a race on the moon. Yeah, yeah the moon. and that's, that's just it. You going up and not forward. Oh, yeah, that's right, because you need the friction to go forward, yeah. whereas the trampoline is really good at making you go up. There yeah, for go. instance, you could have, have that better, more springy substance near the high jump pit, for instance, where you're not as worried about your forward motion as your upward motion. Or the, you can have, like, it, your starting blocks could be a pre-cocked trampoline facing forward. Ooh, that would be good. So your first step. So you don't have this time where you have to get up your speed. You you hit your top speed instantly. That'd be cool. We should, we should we should make that. And happen. Chuck, you want what kind of big cat behind the blocks? Hundred <laughs> meters. Uh, no, I, I no, mean, we talked about honest, that. Yeah. I would well, just like to. I would just like to see people shot out of the blocks if I could. That be no, better. no, no. And then you open a tiger cage, and then they're running after you. Will break records all the time. <laughs> but let's get back to the other things. For example, uh, when exactly was it, uh, Gary? When uh, the two-hour marathon? Oh, what, was see, broken? oh, this goes back to the doctor's point about ha- banning materials and not seeing the the sort of constrictions. Nike have a shoe out called the Vaporfly. And I think they've even called it the Alpha Fly. And the dream has always been break two hours for the marathon. Right. Um, and 2019, Koji, uh, the Kenyan runner, who's 34 years of age, broke the two-hour barrier by about 40, 20 or 40 seconds. And he did it wearing Nike shoes. And there's uproar. But the thing is, the, the thickness of the sole, but they've got a little special ingredient, Doctor, don't they? What what have they put in those Nike shoes that makes them so special? Yeah, that's a... They've got Kenyan carbon, DNA. <laughs> got that for sure. <laughs> they, they've got carbon fiber plates in the base that provide an energy return. And, and I'm not a runner. I only run if I'm being chased. Uh, so that doesn't happen too much anymore. But the return of energy through these series of plates is much like a spring. And just the concept of a two-hour marathon. I mean, that's 13 miles an hour that you're averaging running through there, which is a, a very fast, just regular that's, run. Yeah. So this record uh, was broken, but not, I wouldn't say smashed. No. So one hour, 59 minutes, 40 seconds. But the thing is, Neil... Wait, wait, so, why, so, so wait, so why are people complaining? Just everybody wear the Nike shoes. So what? Because Nike this, does it first. This te- Everyone calls it Kleenex. They did the pop-up tissue first. So Band-Aid, if you do it first and best, right, so I don't make, have a problem the with that. These are the rules. These are the rules, you see. The, the, the technology has to be available to basically everybody. If you want to compete in these shoes, they have to have been available to the public for something like four months prior to the that's event. Correct, <sighs> Which wow. I don't, okay. you know, it's, it's a competitive advantage. I mean, that's the whole thing that about competing is you're no, trying but, to no, be but, better but, than wait, somebody wait, else. No, stop, stop, uh, uh, stop, yeah. stop. Okay, stop. Neil's not happy. The, the, 
the Uh-oh, shoes here we go. don't have rockets in them. Not yet. The they're shoes ma- don't. magic they're, shoes. They're, they're, no, they're, it is your energy. Mm-hmm. It is the management of your running energy in the soles of your feet. So it is still me running that distance in that time. But... Now, it'd be something different if I had rockets and stuff you and don't need, Neil, you don't need rockets. When you're elite, and I'm guessing because I've never been there, at that level, because don't forget, Kipkoji breaks the two hours. He already holds the official world record for the marathon, right? Nike claimed something like 3 to 4% improvement in your race times. Now, for an elite athlete, that's a gold medal. That's the- it helps it helps us non-elite athletes too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I just, I get I it. Really for me, that would just be finisher on the t-shirt. Right, wait, we we got I just more have an issue here. with people people doing that because let's just run barefoot. You know, yeah, if you got issues about, with shoes. I was about to say the guys from Kenya. I mean, somebody is going to break the world in two hours without shoes, period. <laughs> oh, no, they yeah. did. They're, they're not even going to be wearing shoes because that's how, that's their culture. No, right? they do. I mean, back in 68, Selassie, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gabriel yeah, Selassie ran barefoot. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, he started out with shoes, if I remember correctly, mm. and he just didn't like them because yep. they were brand new shoes. And he just took them off and finished the race. But, you know. Wow. There you go. So, so we got to keep moving through these yeah. topics. So for, tell me about, you know, where are, what's the status of golf balls now? Golf balls is one of the most fun labs that I have during my class. I've got some examples here. So they started out way back in the 1400s as knots of wood and rocks, which golf is kind of a miserable sport anyway. It's amazing that it took off when you hit <laughs> rocks of wood. <laughs> you know, imagine putting that thing. And, yeah. and so then they got slightly better where they boiled goose feathers and stuck them inside the bladder and, and made these things called featheries. Those had much uh, truer flight, but you introduced the situation where you would literally explode the ball if you t- hit it too hard. Plus, if you hit them in the water, despite being goose feathers that were boiled that made your ball soggy, so you couldn't use it anymore. They then moved on to what's known as gutta percha, and those are the so-called gutties golf balls, which was a polymer. It's a, a naturally occurring sap from the tree, the gutta percha tree. And that produced a very uniform ball that could be made in large quantities. Then they started to incorporate additional things. For instance, this one's all rolled up now, but it has basically a rubber band that's wrapped around a a solid core inside it. And that provides, uh, golf is a game of feel as they describe it, so that there's benefits to rolling and backspin and other types of aspects of flight. Now they've got a variety of polymers. But just a sec. So baseballs are were for a while, if not still, were also a rubber band wrapped around a, a core. Got one right here. Oh, oh okay. This, so you're this, hold, right. he's holding up a. Uh, did your dog chew on that baseball? No, this is this is a Georgia Tech baseball. For my class, we we took it apart because we were highlighting the differences in materials. As sports materials have gone along, they almost always, or they do always, start out as natural materials, wools and wooden materials and leather. And baseball and gets the award for natural materials using wood bats, leather gloves, leather, uh, pine it, tar, spit. Co- cotton fabric in here. Yeah, they're, they're untouched by your magic yeah. <laughs> in so many ways. Which is really disappointing because we can make an <laughs> was, awesome baseball, let me tell I you. I was going to say, no wonder baseball is so boring. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so... Uh, baseball. So, what is the the latest golf ball costing us? The latest greatest golf ball. Oh man, it's this five piece ball here. So it's got five layers of different material in there, providing a very hard center for your carry. The outer shell will have some UV stabilizers. So again, so that the ultraviolet doesn't harm it, but also so it has the lower friction as it flies through the air. Just so you know, this this cross section of the golf ball the latest golf hole that, that you're now showing me. It looks like a cross-section of a of a planet. <laughs> it is. And they, they talk about the mantle and the crust. Uh, oh, they do. Yeah, yeah there you the go. Core. Yeah, I'm that's exactly it. how we describe it. Yeah. And just like the Earth, each one of those layers has a different consistency and mechanical properties to it to provide either the dense mass to have some carry or a little bit of resiliency to it so that you can induce uh, spin. So once again, you're combining multiple properties to get one generalized effect that people Correct. seek. 
Correct. Okay, so is that the future of golf, that golf ball? The golf uh, industry is regulated. They don't want the golf balls to fly too far because golf courses are very expensive to build. So, suddenly your par five is now a par three, and <laughs> you got to buy up the neighboring lots and other sorts of things. So, no, it's serious. So it's, it's, again, yeah. as a material Neil, scientist, imagine, I've got issues. Imagine <laughs> you've you've bought your beautiful golf course in a beautiful part of the world. And someone comes along and they now start to hit it 500 yards. <laughs> and your golf course is built for maybe a 375, 400 yards. That's because assholes hitter. like Reedy are making my game better. So you can't go buying up land around your golf course because it's just too expensive. Especially because you can hit it 500 yards into the woods. And so now it goes like over the guy's <laughs> right. house into the next yard. Beyond that. Okay, so how about the poles they use in pole vaulting? When my father ran track, I think they were bamboo or something, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. we've come a long way. I was actually a pole Wait, vaulter. Wait, your father didn't use bamboo, did he? No, when he ran track, his fellow track athletes were using bamboo who were hydrophobic. Oh, my yeah, God. the original yeah. poles were bamboo, Chuck. Yeah, oh bamboo, bamboo was up until uh, just a little bit after World War II. Yeah. Um, and, Holy and, crap. And, yeah, that's when he was there, yeah. In, in fact, the baton was made of bamboo. Uh, in the relay races, so well, you know, that I can see. I mean, I'm not trying to. You no, know, I'm just, I'm just talk, telling you how natural materials were still infusing yep. right. what we were doing. So, what are what are they made of now? Yeah, but, now they're they're composites. It's it's really a great story if you look at the world records. You can see clearly the bamboo era, then it stops, and then aluminum, and then it plateaus out, and then now we're in the composite area because. You can take those composites and just like we're talking about the energy return, you can preferentially put reinforcements where that pole is bending as opposed to an aluminum, which would be uniform throughout the length of it. And so you can preferentially put springiness where you want it to uh, have greater and greater. Could you ever make one so springy that like the javelin, you could just pole vault out of the stadium? <laughs> yeah, well, pole vault... It, Pole vault has some great rules. The pole vault basically has no rules whatsoever. The only rule is that you have to carry the pole. Like, you have to carry it in yourself. So, you can make it out of any sort of material you want. Now, there are some good wisdom, and you want to have the certain diameter pole for your weight and your style of jumping where, where you want the pole to bend so that it doesn't fracture, which are some of the most incredible videos. That Highlight videos, class. yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's very... the only reason to watch pole. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, it's... you are so sadistic, Chuck. It really is. I, I'm... Okay, well, I have never no, watched okay, pole okay, before, before we jump out to a break, Neil, sorry. Can you build a kick point like a hockey stick into a pole vault and get that extra leverage? Sure, they already do that. Yeah, Ooh. that's that's standard. They they very much reinforce specific areas of the pole um, to to do it. Ooh. So the pole is not a uniform no, material from bottom yeah. to top. Ooh, which is why if you carry it the wrong way, <laughs> you get a whole different outcome. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely make sure to put the right end into, into the pit. Yeah. <laughs> Reverse it and put the wrong end. That leads. And to just so you know, a, a former a, a guest, a, a brief guest on Star Talk, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, the uh, of the Apollo 11 crew to the moon. Uh, he was a track and field athlete and did the pole vault when he was in college. So I just thought I'd say that before we go to break. When we come back, more of Star Talk Sports Edition. It's a materials world. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. 
With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition, with Judd Reedy, our special guest today, a material science engineer. And of course, I got Gary and Chuck, my co-host. Mm-hmm. Gary and Chuck. All right. Hey. So, uh, so this is what we call the shoot the shit segment, where we just sort of unpack so much of what we've just discussed. So, first of all, our crack team of researchers reminded us of who finished the marathon in bare feet. It was 1960, and Ethiopian Abibi Bikila. Yes. So it was not, not 68. Yeah. Sorry, one, apologies. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, but, was, you know, it was close. He was black and from Africa, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. It wouldn't make a difference what year it is. Oh, come on, guys. It, it wouldn't make a difference what year it is. You know it's going to be some black dude from Africa. Oh. <laughs> my apology. Okay. I didn't get the right athlete. That's my bad. Uh, haven't you seen Chariots of Fire? I mean, come on. No, yeah. No, those movies. dudes were wearing shoes. And, and it was in the movies. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah, happens in the movies. Cinder tracks. Yeah, not yeah. not yeah. any Mondo or even asphalt. My father ran Cinder Track. Yeah, and he, he would tell us about if you fall, the center would go Trouble. under your yeah. skin and you get horrible. Uh, it was very, very bad. Um, a point we didn't get to in the second segment. Let's see if we can dispatch with this quickly. Tell us about shark skin swimming suits. What's going on yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. So, shark skin, that made a big deal in the Olympics. It was a, a, a suit that uh, it was polyurethane, was principally the, the polymer that was involved. And that has the benefit of floating in water. And so, it provided assistance to the swimmer to keep them from drowning, basically, so that your energy could be focused on going forward. Wait, wait, I never knew that because swimmers have very low body fat and body fat floats and muscle sinks. So, I mean, it wouldn't hold. I mean, you couldn't float like you were in. No, but a little bit. Like that, but. It's a little bit matters. Correct. It does at these these levels, a fraction of it it does. So that was one benefit that it was just inherently buoyant. Uh, Wait, so why don't they just wear one of those life preservers? (laughs) (laughs) You got a little bit of drag on that. Swim, just go with swimmies. Uh, swimmies, right. Well, okay, so, okay, I get that. So they're a little more buoyant. So yep. their energy... But they were also hollow. The fibers themselves were hollow, so air could be... Ah, that's how, well they, that's how they get the buoyancy, because the fibers and are then, hollow. And then, furthermore, the topography, the surface characteristics of the swimsuit had texture on it that would disrupt the boundary layer where the water is touching the surface to transition that between laminar and turbulent flow so that it, it released. And so that there was So this is like friction. what like the surface of a golf ball. Same Correct. Thing. It right. Separates the flow of the fluid around it, whether it's air for a golf ball or water for a swimmer, to allow less friction. So, so uh, was it was it outlawed when it first happened? I, I catch me it, up on the news on that. It lasted for an Olympics, and a ton of records were set all during that that period of time with asterisk marks and everything next to them. Now I'm sure, and then they just said no. We can't have this. The other thing is they were full body suits that they provided right. uh, compression. So it reduced the cross section of the swimmer, like it squeezed them in. So there was less, again, less friction through the water. But the compression also increases your your muscular ability. Right. So there was a whole bunch of really good benefits. And, Sounds and like I, everything's good. What's the problem? I know. What's the problem? Like, again, they're putting you out of work. Nothing if I'm a material scientist. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. But the problem was people, you know, they, they want to make it, I guess, fair for everybody to have accessibility to these same things, much like the shoes have to be so, available. And so that so was everybody gets a suit. So it'd be suit. like an Oprah show. I'm you get a shot. suit, and you get a suit, and you get a suit, and you get a suit. So, okay, so you guys must have a museum of the cost of being too good at your job, of the things that got stopped because you represented too much of an advantage over everybody else. Just the man that's keeping a, us down. I'm really tired That's a of it. sad museum. All right, Doctor, <laughs> I mean, for... for I've, maybe it's just me. I've long held this idea of electronically powered garments, whether they would change color, whether you could change sort of advertising on uniforms or whatever it is. Apart from a battery pack stuck to the side, which isn't really efficient, where are we now with these sort of things? Or am I just going to continue this dream? 
No, we can begin to uh, capture energy from all sorts of sources. Obviously, solar power is available. But because you're in a sporting event, there's a lot of mechanical energy available. We already talked about kind of of the passive return of energy through the shoes. But you can use what's known as a piezoelectric material that converts mechanical energy to electrical energy, like a quartz, for instance. You can do that. You can also have electrical that converts to mechanical. So you can capture that energy uh, and then store it in a in a usable manner, such as in a capacitor or a battery, to deliver that to provide communication capabilities, for instance, a Wi-Fi or a Bluetooth type communicator to transmit athlete health performance, you know, simple stuff like respiratory rates and heart rates or more complex things like pH of your sweat or the amount of adrenaline or other sort of stress inducing or stress signifying chemicals that the body secretes. Now, I always thought that the uh, at a fitness center where they have sort of the treadmill and you're watching TV, that you should be powering that television. Yeah, oh, yeah. correct. And, so, and, yeah. And, and if you stop walking, the te- te- television shuts off. So if it's your best part, that means you got to keep going. And what really should happen is all fitness centers of the world should feed the energy back into the grid. Correct. Look at how much energy we're burning and not doing anything with it. That and, and capture the kindergartens too. There's a lot of ki- lot of bouncing around in those kindergartens for sure. Yeah, you'll, you'll have child labor laws for that. For sure. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, are we going to get to this point where we get super smart clothing? Yeah, I think that's that's where we're at right now is the history of sports has all been about strength to weight ratio. And so that's why we've got composites and we're using the light metals like aluminum. And that phrase, strength to weight ratio, is you want as much strength as you can with the you least know, weight. Lightest. Because Correct. putting something into motion, you can make it go faster if it weighs less. Correct. And you can accelerate exactly. it more nimbly if it weighs less. So... So I just want to clarify, strength to weight ratio encapsulates all of that. Yep, yep. It normalizes it out. You know, that's the reason why we have titanium. Titanium is not inherently better than steel from a strength perspective, but it's way, way less, less. So it performs better when you normalize that. All right, so let me ask you this, talking about strength to weight. Wait, wait, one other thing. Wait, before you go, Chuck, I need you to verify what I've been telling people, but you're a materials guy, and I just want to put it out there, okay? Everyone thinks... Titanium is some magic new substance, but it is one of the most common ingredients in Earth's crust. And it's just that it took us a while to figure out how to make it economical. So is that a fair statement? That's a very fair statement. Just because it's prevalent in the Earth's crust, much like rare earth materials, sound like they should be not abundant. They're everywhere, but they're not in mineable quantities. It needs to be concentrated in a place where you can dig out just many, many millions of tons tons of this material. Right. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, thank you, China, because they pretty much own the rare earth <laughs> that's true. business now. So <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much uh, true. Yeah, yeah. Once again, America falling behind. Um, America. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but so, get back to what Gary, Gary said. You know, everything was strength to weight, but where we're going in the future is multifunctionality. That okay. it's more than just mechanical benefits. We're wanting to look at the thermal benefits, particularly as it applies to uniforms and clothing, or say tires on a race car or a bicycle. You want to capture the electrical opportunities to have sensors built into your clothing. I mean, we've got it now with a Fitbit, but could we have it inherently within the structure to, again, to capture body temperature or respiratory rate or things like this? And then one of the biggest ones, and people giggle about it, odor control. I've got a design component of my class here at Georgia Tech, and... The That's called the BO class. Is that it right? is? Yeah. It, it is over and over again. The the the. I just ran. I just ran a that. marathon, and I smell like lavender. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. you, you rode the taxi cab, Chuck. <laughs> That's the thing hanging from the mirror. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let me ask you this: strength to weight, both you and Neil. Um, so in baseball, you hear some players talk about they want to use a heavier bat. Is that preference? Or is there a mechanical advantage for a player of a certain size to swing a heavier bat, thereby letting me ask you, can something be too light even though it is strong enough to do the job? In fact, let me reshape that question. I have a certain certain strength, right? And so should I swing the heaviest bat possible where I can still come around to make contact with the ball? That's the or, key. Or should I swing a lighter bat that I could, might be able to swing twice as fast, for example? Yeah, most players prefer a much, much heavier bat, but you can't get it around in time. 
Uh, so it's, it's very much a personal preference to get it down to a controllable weight, but you want it as, as heavy so as two possible. competing factors there is the point. Yeah, there's clearly a crossover point. Baseball players are so freaking superstitious anyway that you can't change their bat at all anyway. But to be able to scientifically assess how you hit that bat, that's some of the stuff that people are doing now to match the club with the player like they do in golf. All right, so how about, how about the fact that in any uh, expenditure of energy of the human body, the body temperature warms, and as such, the body temperature now wants to cool itself. Can you have clothing that whisks away the extra heat and then converts that? Uh, is, is heat energy so low quality that you can't do anything with it at that point and you just got to dissipate it? It is a challenge. Certainly having delta T, the difference in temperature, have a hot and a cold, you can do something with that. The inherent prevalence of the heat itself, generally you just want to get it away from the athlete. And that's some of the technology we've been developing uh, at Georgia Tech with some research partners that promote wicking yeah. uh, through the fabric. We've got a, a student of mine that he was a wide receiver and realized that fumbling a football is a bad thing as a yeah, wide receiver. Yeah, have, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he created these, they're called lizard sleeves, that has a sticky side, if you will, on one side and a slippery side on the other side. So the slippery part you put on the exterior, uh, like the defender side of your forearm. tackling. Yep. And so you can shed the defenders with that, whereas the sticky side is on, your, on the ball carrying side so that you can hold the ball better. Now, it's not a coating or anything. It's a knit. It's what's called a warp knit. So there's several different fibers in there. And the way the knit comes together, the sticky fiber, which is a spandex type fiber, uh, is on the outside of the surface. So that coating can't wear off. It's it's just inherently built into the structure. And, uh, and once the, again, inside of you're the being clever. Is you, were you so clever that they now outlawed it? What's the future no, of that? No, not yet. Uh, and so the, <laughs> not yet. Yeah, exactly. It seems like they rule everything out. And so we're going <laughs> to make a go of it for the next five years till they create a rule against it probably. But, you know, the knit was important because you can't have the sticky on the inside because you wouldn't be able to get it on your sleeve. Right, so it needs right, to be right, slippery on the skin surface. Now, right. wide receiver gloves have a similar tacky-like construction. You can't use... Which allows them to just stick their hand up high above the head and the ball just sticks to the hand. Yeah, you can't use stick them anymore. That's, that's been outlawed. But the wide receiver gloves are still okay. Those have mm -hmm. silicone pads on the fingers and the, and the palm. This is not an add-on. This is, again, inherently in there. Got it. And at the youth levels and the college levels, there are no rules that would prohibit this from football. But NFL, maybe. We found it's useful actually in COVID because nobody was playing football when we were developing this. It's great for package delivery workers, people in warehouses. Anytime you got to carry something, even healthcare workers doing physical therapy, if you got to move a heavy patient, it helps you grab them. And Right, so then you don't have to squeeze as hard to to boost the friction because yep. you're getting the friction for free from the material. Correct. It's got it's got yeah. the tackiness built in. And that's that's all in the weave. It's in the weave, exactly right. So, yeah. so okay, so so far this this show we've learned that cooking for materials is good. And now it's knitting. Yep. <laughs> okay. I mean, we've you've gone back to the future. There's some simple it's, things that we do that achieve amazing things now. So, There's only so so many ways you can fabricate things and it's adding yeah. a new, you know, recipe from our spice rack. The periodic table is my spice rack. So I can I can pick and choose things from there to yield the ultimate performance. It, it, here's I, what I want to do. I want to have another show uh, on the other side of the house uh, Star Talk flagship where we just talk about the geeky things you can do with the periodic table of elements and what you what goes through your head when you walk up to that spice rack. Sign me and up. And say, today I want to make this. And I just want to have a conversation with you. When you make two parts silicon, one part oxygen, three parts carbon, I want to have that conversation. Will you come back for us? I that? will. I've got my periodic table right here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Never, Never leave, leave home, home without, without it. it. <laughs> <laughs> there. Excellent. we got to call it quits there. Judd, it's been great having you on this. We love getting geeking out with you here. And there's no end of sports. Maybe we'll get you back during the Olympics. And we'll uh, be right in the middle of and what's going on. And figure out all the ways that the things you've come up with will not be in the Olympics. <laughs> well, <laughs> the blades, the blades on the on the skates. Everybody thinks those are flat. They're not flat. They're concave. So you actually got two little blades on the edge. We did so a we whole show on that. That's yeah, so cool. We've done that. Good. All we right. We did a whole Excellent. show on that one. Good. So, all right, dudes. Uh, we're calling it quits there. Uh, nice Chuck, Gary, always a pleasure. Pleasure, my friend. All right, this has been Star Talk Sports Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, bidding you to keep looking up.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.